0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org.
1: Good evening. How's everyone doing? Awesome. Well, it's uh, it's exciting, uh, and I have the honor and the privilege to, uh, to just lead you tonight in a discussion on our community. What is our obligation to our community as a church? And so just to kind of give you an overview of tonight, I'm going to spend a little bit of time doing my best to share with you what God has been teaching me over the last period of time. Um, And then also, we're going to finish out tonight with a panel. And so, I'm looking forward to it, and so I'm praying that the Lord would just bless our time tonight. If you have your Bibles with you, hope you do, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 1 of Nehemiah. In the book, uh, When a Nation Forgets God by Edwin Lutzer. I think pastor knows him really well. Um, this is back during the Holocaust, and um, there was a church there. He's telling this story in the book. There's a, there's a church, and right beside the church is a train station. And these train these train stations, the train loads up, they were loading up these Jews, and they're leading them to basically, rather their immediate death, or they're leading them to concentration camp. And so he tells the story of this church, and the church said in this book that they just couldn't bear to hear the sounds of the cries of the Jews. But here's what they did. He says in that book that what they did is they timed their worship so that when the trains would come by was when they would plan their music. When the cries were up really loud that they could hear them, they just turned up the music. He says a quote from this person that he interviews and this is what they say. They said, I can still hear the trains in my sleep. God forgive me, forgive us all who calls ourselves Christians, yet did nothing to intervene. Now the truth is we are not in the middle of the Holocaust. Uh, But here's the thing, right outside these doors is a community that is lost. There's a community that is broke and they're crying out for hope in peace, and we have that answer for this for this community. The question that we have to ask ourselves, though, is: What are we going to do? are we going to do anything? One of my favorite books of the Bible, one of my favorite persons in the Bible, is Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, this story—if you—if you've studied that Bible, uh, that book—you know that um, it's uh, God had put Israel into exile for seventy years. Seventy years is coming to an end. And God is getting ready to bring his people back into the land. And Nehemiah, the very beginning, hears a report that the city has destroyed. The city walls are down. And as we see, when Nehemiah hears this story, as we see what Nehemiah does, Nehemiah doesn't, he doesn't sit back in his comfortable life. Nehemiah gives up his comfortable life and he goes to the destruction. Where Nehemiah runs from, where people would run away, Nehemiah runs too. And so as we look at the book of Nehemiah tonight, and we're not going to go through every bit of it, we're going to go through some of it. As we look at the book of Nehemiah, there's three obligations to our community that I think that we learn from this book. The first one, we are obligated to weep for our community. We are obligated to weep for our community. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, the first thing that we see in Nehemiah do when he hears this report is he weeps. His heart was broken. When he thought of the brokenness of the city, he wept. Now, let me tell you something about Nehemiah. If you've ever studied this book, the thing we learned from Nehemiah is he is a man of God. All through this book, you see him in prayer. Everything that Nehemiah does, he does through prayer. When Nehemiah heard the report, he prayed. Before he went to the king to ask permission to go, he prayed. When opposition comes and they started building the wall, he prays. Every action that Nehemiah does was rooted in prayer. And because he was close to God, because he was a man of God, he was a prayer warrior is what we would call him. His heart, I believe, was sync with God. Nehemiah's heart was broken for the city because God's heart Was broken for the city. In Luke 19, 41 through 47, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he sees the brokenness and the the sinfulness of the city. And it says that Jesus wept. His heart was broken. When Nehemiah looked at the city, his heart was broken. When we look at our city, when you look at our city, is your heart broken? It should be. According to the Hartford Institute of Religious Research, more than 40% of Americans say they go to church weekly. As it turns out, however, less than 20% are actually in church, which means that more than 80% of Americans are finding other things to do than go to church. When we hear that, does it break our heart? In the Birmingham metro area, there are 1.1 million people, and over 51% are lost. When we hear this, do we weep? When we hear the tragic story of a two-year-old little boy named Major Noah Amari Turner, shot and killed in his own home, does that break our hearts? When we hear murders in our communities, racial tension, drugs in our communities, and broken families in our communities, does this cause us to weep? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we weep? The truth is, and I really believe this, if we do not have a burden for the lost and a brokenness, then we will never pray for our city, we will never weep for our city, we will never go reach our city. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Nehemiah would have went to Jerusalem if he had not have a burden in his heart? I don't think he would have. If you talk to church planters and you, went to, you brought 30 church planters in here and you asked them why they planted a church where they did, they may tell you all kind of different stories, but I promise you every one of them will have the same story, that God sent them to the city that they're at and he broke their heart. They, their heart was broken for the city and that's exactly where they planted their church. If we want to pray for our city, if we want to go to Syria, our first heart has to be broken for our city. And the way that our heart becomes broken is if we have to be in sync with God. And the way that we're sync with God is by spending time with Him in His Word, and then through prayer. Church, if we are not a church that's about God's Word, if we are not a church that's about prayer, we will never ever be a church that is about our community. The second thing is we see in this book is we're obligated to pray for our community. We're obligated to pray for our community. That's the second thing we see Nehemiah do. Nehemiah, when he hears the report, he weeps, and then he prays. He knew the power of prayer. He knew that only God could do this, and so he prayed to God. He was a man of prayer. In chapter 1, verse 4, it says that Nehemiah prayed for days. In chapter 1, verse 6, it says that Nehemiah prayed both day and night. Now watch this, from the time he started to pray to God in chapter 1, which was the month of Kislev, to the time in chapter 2 when God answered his prayer, which was the month of Nisan, it was about four or five months. So for four or five months, Nehemiah begged God daily and even twice a day to answer his prayers. As Nehemiah prayed, he prayed for two things. The first one, in verse 4, Nehemiah intercedes for the city. That's what we see him doing in verses 5 through 11. He prays, he intercedes for the city. In verse 6, Nehemiah confesses the people's sin to the Lord. In verse 7, he confesses they had rebelled against God and did not keep his laws. And in verse 9, he reminds God that God promised to restore his people if they would turn from their wickedness and turn back to the Lord. As God's people like Nehemiah, we need to intercede for our city. We need to daily get on our knees and pray that God would bring thy salvation to this city. I was listening to uh, a church planter named Vance Pittman. And I may have told you this story before. And Vance Pittman was a church planter who planted a church in, um, in, in Las Vegas, Hope Church in Las Vegas. He was sent by Wood, Wood Baptist, one, no, First Baptist Woodstock, Georgia. He was sent by them to go plant this church in Las Vegas. And so he gets out there, he moves his family out there, and, he's, you know, and he gets out there about a week out there, and he gets a phone call from a lady. Now this church has done some amazing things over the year. They've done things in that city. They've radically changed that city. And they've done amazing things all over the world. But he tells you this story of how, why God used their church the way he has used their church. He says he's out there. He gets a phone call one day from a lady from the Philippines. She's talking to him. She says, Pastor, can I tell you my story? And he says, absolutely. So she begins to tell him this story that she was living in the Philippines. She met an American family. She pretty much became part of their family. And they packed up and they moved to Woodstock Georgia she started to attend that church and uh and she started to fall in love with the church she loved the church she loved God she loved the city she loved everything about that that church and that city she end up they get packed up they end up moving out to Las Vegas she gets out there she sees the brokenness of the city she misses the church She missed her church that she that she was a part of and so she tells him that for a year and a half a year and a half Every day she prayed that God would send First Baptist Woodstock, Georgia Church to Las Vegas. And then she asked him, Pastor, who sent you? Now he says he fell out in the floor when she told him this. But the thing about this story, he tells you this, that the reason why they're able to do what they were able to do, what they've been able to do, is because one lady, one lady from the Philippines, got on her knees every day, he says, and she clung to the cross of Jesus and begged him until she answered her prayer. Now, this is an amazing story, but here's the thing. This story shows you what God will do through his people if his people have a burden for the city and pray to move or God to move mightily in their city. If we think we can reach this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ without the power of God and that without his presence, we are sadly mistaken. If we really want God to move in this community through this church, it's got to start on our knees. Second thing Nehemiah prays for is he prays that God would send him. Look at verse chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. When wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Now, Nehemiah, he goes to the king. The king picks up on him that he's sad. And he asks him, Why are you sad? What are you, what are you asking of me? And look at what Nehemiah does in verses four, 4 and 5. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's grave, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah praised the God and then he asked the king to let him go. Of course, the king lets him go. See, Nehemiah wanted to go to the city. He wanted to go and rebuild the city, but he knew, he knew that only God could make that happen. See, Nehemiah knew the power of prayer. We need to know the power of prayer. Nehemiah prayed daily, and we need to pray daily. We as a church need to get on our knees every day that God would move mightily in this city, and we need to pray that God would use Valleydale to do it. third thing that we see in this, we are obligated to go to our community. We are obligated to go to our community. The third thing we see now, notice the progression here. First thing we see Nehemiah do is he has a heart's broken for the city. Then he prays for the city, and now he's going to go to the city. Very important that that's exactly how God works in our lives. We have to have a heart broken for the city. Then we have to pray for the city, and then we have to go to the city. That's what we see Nehemiah do. Now think about this. Nehemiah, it says, was the cupbearer. Now, if you know anything about that, that means that he tasted all the food and drank all the wine or or drinks that the king would, before the king would drink it in case it was poisoned. Now, you may think this was a a position of a slave, but actually, this was a very prominent position. This was, he was kind of like the right-hand man. And so when you think about this, he had a comfortable life. He could have lived a comfortable life, but what did he do? He gave it all up to go run to the destruction. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you in here, if you put your your shoes in Nehemiah, how many of you would give up your comfortable life and go reach this community, go to the destruction, go to the lost and the brokenness of our community? How many of you would do it? So why did Nehemiah do this? I think there's two reasons. First one is he knew that this was what God was calling him to do. He knew that God was calling him to leave, to give up his comfortable life, and go to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. But he also knew not only that God want him to go, was calling him to go, but he also knew that God would be with him. In chapter 2, verse 8, when the king granted Nehemiah to go to Nehemiah, he says this in verse 8, And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. When Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, he surveyed the damage, and he gathered the people, and he told them the plan to rebuild the wall. And in chapter 2, verses 17 18, he says this, You see the trouble we were in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And look at verse 20 there in chapter 2. The God of heaven will make us prosper. As they started to rebuild the wall, opposition comes in chapter 4. Nehemiah prays to God, and then in chapter 4, verses 14, Nehemiah says this, Do not be afraid of them, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fights for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And then in verse 20, Nehemiah says this, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. See, Nehemiah knew it wouldn't be easy, but he knew that this was exactly what God was calling him to do. And he knew that God would be with him. In the heart of the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King, he found himself at a crossroad He could stay in the fight or he could get out. He was persecuted. His family begged him to get off off this effort to get out of it because he was being persecuted and being hated and being threatened and attacked. But he was drawn to something much bigger. He was drawn by God. And one night, uh, it says that Martin Luther King, in his biography, he says that one night he's weak and he goes to the Lord in prayer and he says this, I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak. I'm faltering, I'm losing my courage. And it seemed at that moment that I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for the truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. Now, Martin Luther King, he had a a new strength and a new courage because he was reminded of why he was doing what he was doing because that is what God was calling him to do, to fight for justice, to fight for righteousness. But he also knew that even though it wouldn't be easy, he knew that God would be with him. So we need to understand that God has called us to reach this city. There's, there's no, no coincidence that God has put Valido Church right here. And I really believe this, and I tell this to members all the time in our membership class. And there is no coincidence that God has brought you here to this city. We are called here by God to reach. This city, We need to understand that, that God has called us to reach this city. It, uh, again, it's no accident, but here's the thing. God has called us to reach this city with the gospel, even though it won't be easy, but we can have the promise and the confidence that God will be with us. It will not be easy, but here's the good news. The good news is we cannot fail. You ever thought about that? We cannot fail. If God is calling you to something, you can be confident and sure that you will not fail. That's the beauty of the gospel. My favorite chapter, my favorite verse in this book is chapter 6, verse 15. And it says this, So the wall was built. Now think about all that Nehemiah went through. Think about Nehemiah having to go to the destruction. Think about Nehemiah having to go and survey all the damage, bring the people together, cast the vision, and motivate them to rebuild the wall. Think about the opposition that came. Everything that Nehemiah and the people went through, God rebuilt the wall. It's comforting to know, again, that if God has called you to do something, he will provide for you. And the good news is we cannot fail because God will not fail. In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this to them. He says, I will build my church, and he says this, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now, you think about a gate, right? That's a defensive weapon. That's not offense. That's a defensive weapon. And he says this, the gate the defense cannot stop this think about football right football you have the offense and you have the defense and jesus says the gospel is the offense and he says this the defense cannot stop it a number of years ago i was uh, i was listening watching a football game and it was uh, i think it was wisconsin and it was brett belima if you know that name and he just destroyed this team i mean just beat them like 60 to nothing And he goes to his press conference, and they're all over him about running up the score. And this is what he tells them in that interview. He says, look, he says, you can criticize me all you want to. And he says this, my job is to score. That team's job is to stop me. Now, you may like Brett Belima, and you may not like him, but he's got a point there. His job as the offense is to score, and he says the other team, their defense, their job is to stop us. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying that our job, the gospel, is the offense, and the defense cannot stop it. I think one of the problems in churches today, we forgot our position. I think some people in the church think that our position is the spectator, is to watch. Watch while others do all the work. I think some people in the church think it's the defense, sitting back, waiting. That's not what Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us that we are on the offense. We are to go, and the beauty of the gospel is that we cannot be stopped. In 1791, on John Wesley's deathbed, one of the last letters he ever wrote was a man to a man named William Wilberforce. And William Wilberforce, you know that name. He's fighting to abolish the slave trade. And want, I want you to re- listen to what Wesley tells Wilberforce. "Dear sir, unless the divine power has raised you up to be an Athanasius against the world, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that unpleasant villainy." Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. Now, I don't know how you feel, but I don't think there's a better pregame speech than that right there. I bet Wilberforce was ready to run through a wall when he read that. But the beauty of it, the awesomeness of the gospel is that if God is calling you to it, and we know that God is calling us to reach this city, we cannot be stopped. The gospel cannot stop because God cannot be stopped. The truth is, like Nehemiah, we must realize that God has called us to reach our city. He will be with us. It won't be easy, but he will be with us and we cannot fail. So we must be like Nehemiah. And we must give up our comfortable life. We must weep for this city. We must pray for this city. And we must go reach this city for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. If we don't do this, if we do not reach this community that God has called us to, then we are no better than that church in the very beginning that just turned up the music when they heard the cries of the Jews. So let's don't be the church that tunes out the cries of our city, but let's be the church that runs to the cries of our city, You know, maybe you're here, maybe you're watching tonight and you're thinking, you know what, I'm all in. I'm ready for this. What do I do? Three things. One is starting next Wednesday night, we're offering live on mission training where we're going to be equipping you. We're going to be unpacking what does live on mission mean and how can you live on mission? You can sign up. It starts next Wednesday. The second thing is we're having our one B ham on Saturday, April the 10th. The registration is already out there. You can sign up right now on the app and on the website, but we're going to be going out to our community as a church and serve them and show them the love of Jesus. That's on April the 10th. And the third one is we are casting a vision over the next year to all of our life groups to go out and adopt and build a ministry, build a relationship with something in our community. Maybe you're not in a life group. I don't think there's a better time than to join one. We'd love to get you set up to join and be a part of what we're doing here at Valleydale. We are, a church, we are a church that is committed to train you, to equip you to live on mission, to reach our community. So my challenge for you here tonight and you watching is to join us, is to make the commitment to be equipped, join us, and live on mission for the glory of God. As I was doing my, my research, I had to write a paper on um, last semester in ethics on race, racism and racial, racial reconciliation, And as I was doing my research on that to write this paper, I came across one of the best books that I read was called One Blood by John Perkins. Now, Perkins, if you know anything about this guy, he fought racial reconciliation and racism for many years. It was not easy. He He was discouraged at times. But no matter how hard it was, no matter how discouraged he got, he never stopped. And in that book, he tells you the reason why he never stopped was because his motivation was the love of Jesus What Jesus did for him on the cross and how Jesus loved him and his love for Jesus motivated him, gave him a passion to take that love of Jesus to a community, to build racial reconciliation, to share the gospel. So my prayer is that we would be a church that wakes up every morning, remind ourselves of the gospel, and be reminded that that God has showed us his love through his son Jesus Christ and Jesus' love for us and our love for him will drive up in a passion for us to take the gospel to a world that's crying out for the gospel, that's crying out for peace and for hope, and the only thing that can answer what they're looking for is the gospel. That is the church that we need to be, and that is the church that God has commanded us to be. Charles Spurgeon said this, When a man or woman is truly rescued by God, they cannot stop themselves from shouting from every rooftop, They cannot be silenced. Even if they have no human listeners, they tell it to the waterfalls and babbling brooks. They travel to the wilderness to speak to rocks and dust, then fly to the mountains and yell it over canyons and riverbeds. Because once a person has heard the call of heaven, they become unstoppable. So church, let's go be unstoppable. So let me pray. Father, I just... uh, I just thank you, Lord, for us being able to open up your word, Lord, and understand, Lord, what you've called us to do. You have called us to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would convict our hearts tonight. I pray that you would just drive us up in us, Lord, a passion and a burden, Lord, for this community. That we would have a burden, that we would weep for the loss and the brokenness in this community. And that we would, it would cause us to pray for this city. And it would cause us to go reach this city for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that, Lord. I pray for the panel tonight, Lord. And I pray as we, as we talk about local community engagement, Lord. I pray that you would give us wisdom. I pray for everyone that's on this stage. I pray that you would give them wisdom. Speak through them, Lord, tonight as they speak to us. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm gonna welcome you to our panel tonight. Uh, We have Jenny Waltman from Grace Klein Community. We have Mark Watkins, you know Mark Watkins, he is one of our leaders in our church. You have the Howards, Matt and Kristen Howard, and you have Joy Doherty and you have Ruth Smith. And so these are our panel tonight and so um, I'm gonna start off with a little interview here with with Jenny Waltman. Now Jenny, Jenny works, like I said, she was the founder uh, of Grace Grace Klein Community. And one of the things that I learned when I met with them, the first time I ever went over there, heard about it, went over there, and met with her, I was amazed at the things that y'all are doing there. I mean, amazed. Uh, I actually felt really bad about myself when I left there because of the amazing things that y'all are doing. Um, so I want you just to share your story. Just, I, I know you could talk for hours on, on what God is doing through your, your, your ministry, but I would love for you to just share, why did you start Grace Client Community?
2: Uh, Have y'all ever lived in every socioeconomic class? We found ourselves living in a half a million dollar house where all of our neighbors were wealthy. Our daughter went to an inner city school and our friends were all middle class. So we really fit in nowhere and everywhere all at the same time. And one day we went to a birthday party in suburbia right over here in Heatherwood and they had the blow up slides and all the party favors and it was just the typical middle-class party. And after that, my daughter said, can we please go to my friend's party from school? And we thought, we need to get to know these families, so we'll go. We went to this house and it backed up to the projects, um, except that nobody lived. It was abandoned projects, but people were squatting in those projects. And a little eight-year-old boy came up to the fence, and he had a gun on his back. And my husband asked him, what is that? He said, oh, it's my gun. I had to make one because everybody has one. This is in Birmingham. And we were trying not to weep and wondering, where, what have we done and how have we not known about this? And then we went inside their home to use the restroom and they had some mattresses on the floor and that's all they had. And we realized, oh, no, they just grilled out all their food stamp money for the whole month to have this party. And it was really a moment when you think about James four seventeen, when you when it says that we know the good we ought to do, but then when we don't do it, that it's sin for us. And it was looking at us right in the face, and we were trying to hold it together and get out of this party. But we knew that we had to do something about it because we weren't going to have this awareness and not do anything. So after that, we started to visit all the inner-city schools in Birmingham. In the first month of Grace Klein Community, we served 58 families. And we visited all those 50 school, 50 inner-city schools, and the, the teachers and administration would just tell us the people that were hungry. It was really devastating to know that this was our city, and we ended up pairing up volunteers to go and deliver food to get to know the people because we realized that food could be a segue to share about Jesus so that these people could have a relationship with Jesus because that food was going to be gone in a week, but Jesus would never be gone if they experienced him. So it's been so amazing. Uh, Since the pandemic, we've grown um, over five times, and um, now we serve about 10,000 people every week with food support and other uh, support in our city. So we're just so thankful that we were obedient, and we're so thankful that, um, that it's not sin for us anymore because we saw it and we did something about it.
1: That's awesome. Man, that is, that's awesome. God did
2: something about it.
1: <laughs> and you know, and I, I know you shared a little bit, but what, what, a few other things, what are some other things y'all are involved with? I know y'all are involved with a lot, but what are some other things that God is doing through your ministry?
2: Well, right now we're doing the March for Hunger in, for the month of March, so we love to ask you to join us. We're looking for food rescue volunteers that will help us rescue food. Last year we rescued over $2 million worth of food, and that's only about 1% of the estimated food waste in our city. So that's a real problem, and we would love to have help to do something about that. Another thing that we're doing is asking people to clean out their pantries and think about stuff that maybe you bought because it was on sale that you're never going to eat and it's still good. And if you would bring it and donate it and so that we can feed it, give it to families that need it, and also just be able to help fuel the cost of the food. We're spending about $2,000 a week just to buy food besides the amount that we rescue.
1: Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Praise God for y'all's ministry. Um you know, one of the things, and you and I talked about this, and, and I really loved your story because as we think about, you know, in Nehemiah, you know, in Nehemiah weep for the city, and, and your story just, I felt like, just lined up, you know, perfectly with that story, and so I thank you for sharing. One of the things that we're trying to do here at, at Valleydale is to really equip our people to live on mission, to to live on mission every day in their community, and so, you know, one of the things I would love for you to do, there's people here, there's people watching What what would you say to encourage our church?
2: Well, we were talking about it last night before we were going to bed, and I was like, I don't want to give them something from today. Like, I want to give them something new for what God does tomorrow, which is now today. Because I think a lot of times as Christians we get guilty of thinking about how awesome it was on this mission trip we went on, and we live on that high whenever we're not expecting God to do something today. So I was just like, I'm going to bed. You do something cool tomorrow, and I'm going to tell them that. So... (laughs) Uh, this morning I woke up at 7.15 and this, this uh, gentleman had texted me and a group had prayed for us last night for hours. I didn't know that it was happening and they wrote a lot to us about uh, what God um, is doing for us and just praying protection for us and provision for Grace Klein because we, we're operating out of eight locations now because we're out of space so we're really at capacity. So they're just praying about different things and how God would use that to just really grow the kingdom of God. And then um, they said three things that I think really is so cool that um, also y'all can take away today. And they said, you do God's work. He will carry the burden and expect miracles. Wow, guys. So that's our fresh word from God from 7.13 this morning. We cannot be stopped because we have gotten up and we're going to do God's work while we're breathing. We have life. He will carry the burden so we don't have to be freaked out when we don't know what to do and we can expect miracles because that's who our God is.
1: That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Mark, how are you yeah, doing? I, I don't
3: feel qualified to be on the family anymore.
1: <laughs> I, I felt the same way when I went and met with them. I'm telling you. I felt like, man, I thought I was a Christian until I met with these people. <laughs> um, so, Mark, you lead a life group. And one of the things that I was really fascinated with was. Last 1Bham, there was some confusion. You know, I, I had assigned you to a school, and then I got a phone call from someone saying, hey, you know, we're supposed to be going to this police station to do something. And I'm thinking, I didn't assign anybody a police station. So I was really confused about that. And then I finally just called you, and uh, and you told me some of the things that you're doing. And I just thought, that's amazing what you're doing. You're you're living out what we're trying to do here in this church. And so I'd love for you to share your story about kind of what you did and and why you did it.
3: Well, we we try to keep these things secret so that I don't have to be on panels like this. But um, we a couple of years ago we started talking about uh, trying to do something for the, the police. Um, that was that was a heart that our life group had, and it really wasn't until the the pandemic that we were spurred on to actually take action on that. So. Um, we, we have a member of the Pelham Police Department Scott Duffy is in our life group so it just made sense that we would plug in with them um, in, in talking to Scott we were trying to figure out what we could do um, as, as good Baptists you know we always go to food what, what food can we do to, to provide for them? and you know one of the unique things about a, a police department is you, you don't just, everybody doesn't break for lunch at the same time, everybody's not gathered together. You've got one shift coming, one shift going. So one of, uh, one of Scott's suggestions was some grab and go things. Um, so we, a, a group um, from our, our life group got together and we put together some energy drinks, some snacks and, and different things like that, that they could put in the break room mm-hmm. and as they were leaving to go out on patrol, They could just grab it, take it in their car, and go with it. Um, You know, one of the things that I I know a lot of people pour into our our police departments, all of our community helpers, and I wanted us to be different because I wanted our effort to be about Jesus. Hmm. I wanted them to know the love of Jesus through us. So one of the things we were able to do in these little grab-and-go packages was to add some of our church's devotionals, so that they had a devotional in their patrol car or wherever they were stationed. So um, it, it was it was well received, I think, um, and really, you know, it wasn't a major effort. Uh, it was it was a very easy task to go out there and accomplish.
1: Actually, that's awesome. So let me ask you this: you know, one of the things that I was really fascinated with when I talked to you about this was. You know, you could very easily just say hey, we're going to pick something out in the community and we're going to send them a meal or or do something, which which is great. I mean, I'm not saying that's that's a bad thing. That's a really good thing. But what you're trying to do is more. You're trying to build a ministry. Why, why do you, why are you doing that? Why do you think it's you could have done the easy way? I say and just. Done that, but you want to build a ministry, so I'd love to hear you to talk about that.
3: Yeah, we, I mean, we've done projects in the past where it's it's a one and done. You go in mm-hmm. and you do a meal for this group, or you go out and do a service project for that group. But as we know through through this church, the the strength of this church, discipleship doesn't happen. It's not a one time event. It's it's building a relationship over time, where where that person they know that you are a Christian because they know your love, that you continue to show them over and over again. Um, I, I was able to go out and, and meet with the chief of police yesterday um, and ensure him that this is an ongoing relationship. This is, this is something that we want to continue. We want to build upon. We want to we build relationships with the individual officers. One of the other things that, that we've done as part of this is is get a listing of the officers so that we can start praying for them. Um, and, and hopefully over time, they will come to us with individual prayer needs and, and we can continue to build that relationship. even
1: stronger. That's good. That's good. Um, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about tonight is we got a lot of life groups here and, um, and we got life groups that are all great. And, and there may be some that are, that are doing what you're doing and, and I'm learning as I meet with them. But there may be a life group leader out there that's just, you know, man, I really like what Mark's doing. You know, so how what would you how would you encourage that life group leader to do that or that life group to do that? Uh, and maybe maybe give them give them like what is the first step?
3: Yeah, well, the first step is to do something. Um, you know, it's it's <laughs> not it's not rocket science. It's making a contact. Fortunately, with with us, we had Scott in our life group, so we already had that contact established. We, we have another effort where we, we wanted to um, pour into one of the COVID units. Um, one of the guys in our class reached out to a hospital and just made that contact. He went up and dropped off some cookies and they thought it was the best thing in the world. I, I mean, it, it, it doesn't have to be a major effort. People just appreciate even little things and, and getting that foot in the door, getting it started, allows you to build upon it to make it something much larger.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, we thank you for what you're doing. So thank you, Mark. It's, it's what?
3: It's my group. It's not me.
1: Well, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, Howard's Matt and, and uh, Kristen. How are y'all doing? Okay. We're up here. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things just talking with y'all about is, is families. We're a church that's about family, right? I mean, that's, that was came out of our, our mission statement, right? We're about family here. And, and one of the things that we really want to pour into that is families living on mission. And so I would love to sh- y'all to share with us tonight, what are some things that, that y'all do or doing or have done in the community to live on mission as a family?
4: Sure. Well, thanks for uh, having us up here. Um, you know, for us is, is you know, we, we, we love to serve, just, just here at church, in the community, wherever. And so for us, you know, just thinking about our mission mm-hmm. statement is generations, you know, Helping a busy community know Christ to make him you know and, and know more about him live for him right that's good. And, and so for us you know that that, that term generations is what kind of has called our attention is you know we want to provide an example to our kids that you know they can hopefully continue to do that and we can have opportunities to show and share with them why we're doing those things that's awesome and so we've had ample opportunities and and mm-hmm. you know we we thought of, you know we've gone on several mission trips you know around the country and. Uh, but, you know, for us is what do we do locally? What can we do locally, you know? And so we really uh, just started just loving on our neighbors, and it's as simple as that. As Mark, you talked about things just being really simple. Is for us, is just, you know, just getting to know our neighbors. Go for a walk. Introduce yourself to your neighbors. You yeah. know, there's so many times that in our neighborhoods, we, we don't even know the people who live across from us sometimes because we live in such isolation from time to time, and so I think for us was our first step. Uh, we kind of stole my thunder on that one. <laughs> um our first step was really just just to go meet our neighbors you know get to know them let them know who we are that kind of thing and then uh allow our kids to be a part of that process as well in sharing and, and and loving on those folks around us we've been able to go and we got a, a fire station that's right down the road from us we brought cookies at the fire station we have a school all right you know our kids can walk to school and so we're able to go pick up trash or whatever and just do little things around the, the community just to you know, pour in that community, and we're able to kind of talk with the kids about why we
1: do those things, you know, just, just to show Christ's love for others. That's awesome. So, what, what, do you, what are you seeing when y'all do that? What is it doing for your family and your children? Like when you, you know, I'm talking about, what is that doing for y'all yeah, as a family? It,
4: uh, it kind of creates a curiosity of, of why are we doing this? You know, of course, sometimes, you know, Fulton's like, Adam, why, what, what are we doing? Well, <laughs> I'd rather go play with my friends. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's just really teaching him that, you know, it's it's God has called us to serve. And... and Pouring that into them, and and let them know that that's that's the heart we want to have, is to share that with our community because this is where God has put us, and so we want to love those that are that are, we come in contact with each day. Awesome,
1: awesome, Kristen, you want to add anything? Or? <laughs>
5: um, I I mean, really, just trying to instill in our kids just to be others centered. You know, I feel like it's so easy for them just to be me, 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 but. They have really taken an investment in this and began to say, let's do something for so-and-so. We haven't met that person in that house. And so that's really cool to kind of see them begin to step up and take ideas and um, initiate that with our family.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. I know we we used to do that with uh, Connor. We would take, um, we've been doing it for years. We'd take him and he would want to do, you know, cookies for the fire stations and he would do it every day if we could afford to do it every day, but uh, we just can't afford to do that. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I, I can see the same thing in, in our family as well. Um, you know, one of the things, again, we're, we're about family here, and, uh, and we really want to equip our families to live on mission. And so you as a family who, who are apparently doing that and showing that in your lives, what would you say to families that are watching tonight or here tonight and listening in? What would you say to them? I mean, how would you encourage them?
5: it's easy for us to say well my kids are too young or we're too busy and um, I think we were in the season of that and then we finally were like you know what it doesn't matter how old our kids are or what we've got going on we're going to plug them in we're going to get involved and and um, let them help us come up with ideas and make it fun and serve as a family and um, tell them why we're doing this so I think anybody can you know I mean doesn't um, take a lot of effort to make a little goodie bag and put it in people's mailboxes or knock on their door and um so begin to just build relationships.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you all for very much for sharing. So, Joy, um, you know, one of the things that you and I talk a lot about is evangelism. I know you have a heart for evangelism. And, you know, one of the things that, that I, and I've and i read books, I've talked to people, you know, one of the things that we have to be careful as a church, especially when we're equipping people to live on mission, is that we can be so focused on going out and serving gospel demonstration uh and be be you know not so much gospel proclamation making sure the gospel is there making sure evangelism is there so you know i know you have a heart for that and so i would love for you to speak in your opinion of why it's important you know like i said why do you go out and share the gospel why is it important for us to do that as a church
0: well for those of us who um, are here who are believers like believer you know what jesus did for you An infinitely holy God who, in perfect humility, became our sin, your worst thought, my darkest deed, the collection of all of our selfish motives, he became those things and gave us his righteousness in his place. And if I know that that is available to the people that I encounter on a day-by-day basis, how could I not tell them about Jesus?
1: Mm, That's good. That's good, you know. And there's there's probably someone, you know, when you watching tonight, uh, here tonight, you know, is when you hear that word evangelism, it can get real scary, right? Oh, evangelism, that's kind of scary. Um, how did you how did you do that? how did How did you get over that? Did you get over that fear? Because I know that, I know someone is wanting to know that. Like, how how do you how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you get away from the fear? Get over the fear of doing that.
0: Well, I'll be honest. I had the shakes before I knocked on my first door. Like, door-to-door evangelism is, um, it's very different than um, someone that you know at work or someone where you have the luxury of a relationship. Um, But what I would say, Pat, is that it wasn't me that, um, that conquered that fear. It was the Lord. It was the fact that to know him is to love him. And to love him is to obey him. And so what I would say to that person is, one, just start with prayer. Like, the Lord knows your heart. He knows where you are. Um, Trust him with that. But I would say learn to trust the Holy Spirit with the willingness to obey so that you are in a place where you can, and this is something that I struggle with on a day-by-day basis, and ask the Lord to help me to trust the Holy Spirit, to actually act on the promptings that he gives me. It doesn't have to always make sense, I may end up looking like a fool in the end, but ultimately what's most important is pleasing the Lord and obeying him in that. Um, awesome. Awesome.
1: Um, you know, one of the things here is, you know, you're one of our singles and um, you know, we have, we have singles here. We're, we're growing, I believe in that, in that ministry. And so I would love for you there, they're hopefully watching tonight or here tonight. I would love for you. What would, what would you say to them as you live on mission You know, you live out your singleness through, you know, with the gospel through that. How how would you encourage them? Maybe they're watching tonight and they're like, man, I want to do that.
0: First of all, whether you're single or whether you're not, and um, if evangelism or obeying God's command to make disciples is something that's intimidating to you, um, I've been there. I've been there. Um, I would just say I, I don't know what faithfulness looks like for you in your season or where you are in your life, but I would say trust the Lord, like whatever he is asking you to do, do it.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And so our last panelist is uh, Miss Ruth Smith. Now, Ruth, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, up until about last year, I, I, I saw you, I guess I knew of you, but I didn't really know you. Uh, last year, at uh, I guess it was this time last year, you had me over for lunch. And uh, we. I thank you for that. It was a great day. And um, but what I what's that? I can host. <laughs> it was really good. So thank you for that. But uh, but one of the cool things, though, was that Ross and I were over meeting uh, with Grace Klein and we I had, ne- had not seen the food drive up. So they said, oh, you got to go see the food drive up. So we drove over to it was Liberty and uh, and we went over there. And sure enough, there you are working. And then we find out that you're regularly serving over there. And so I would love for you to, to share. I mean, you're, um, you know, you're, you know, retiree, you're uh, a widow. You've got a special needs son that you care for. I mean, you got a lot going on, but it seems like to me that you still find time making a priority to, to live on mission and serve the community. So I'd love for you to just share, like, why why do you do that?
6: You notice he says the old person for last.
1: So. No, 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 no.
6: <laughs> well, you know, and um, my husband died. It's been almost seventeen years ago, and I was I was left with two teenage children in a house. To Thankfully, a good job. So mm-hmm. my life consisted of working and taking care of things. And I thought, okay, I'm writing a check to church every week, every month there, handling all the mission stuff. Well, I, re- I retired early because I have a son to take care of. When my son aged out of school, his options were limited. So I retired mm-hmm. early. And one of the things I started doing was attending all these classes at the senior center. And I found out I liked dance fitness. So I got certified for my 60th birthday. I went and got certified as a refit instructor. And I partnered with another lady who's a pastor's wife, and we started teaching dance fitness classes. And we use dance fitness to share our faith with um, the people in our class because we want them to get healthy mind, body, and soul. So we spend 50 to 55 minutes doing dance fitness and cardio, and then we spend the last time in devotion, and we take prayer requests and do that. So that's one thing that I have a passion for that we share with the community. And the other thing is Grace Klein. Um, Paul goes to me with all my dance fitness classes. He loves the ladies. So he even has a shirt that says, Refit Instructor Sidekick. So he loves it. But um, I started back doing Grace Klein because I felt God placed on my heart the statement, feed my lambs. There are too many Hungry children just breaks my heart. And to see the waste in this country and the hunger that's there. And I started volunteering. I met the Grace Klein folks years ago in another capacity and did some weekend work with them.
1: But right now, I
6: have to use the time that I have a sitter available to stay with Paul. So I volunteer at the, the um, drive-in food pantry. And we pack boxes and distribute them to people in need, and it's fun. But, you know, I'm limited in the time that I can spend doing that. But the other thing that Paul and I can do together is the food rescue. So Paul and I are on donut rescue. So we go to Heavenly Donuts Man, on Saturday like morning, a- and we're starting on Sunday nights, and we just go pick <coughs> up bins of all the leftover donuts. And, um, <laughs> um, yeah.
1: And started start a donut and, ministry um, here.
6: So Paul loves to ride in the car, so we just go pick up the donuts. Mm-hmm. And, um, the other thing I can do from home is put together all the little cardboard boxes that we put all the donuts in that we can give to people. So, um, you know, it's, it's an easy thing anybody can do is to go, you know, get on with Jeannie and find out is there something mm-hmm. that I can do, just go pick up the food because I don't have to have a sitter. I can just go rescue the food.
1: So Awesome. Well thank you for sharing. You know, and, and I would say this to kind of wrap up tonight is, is like we've done it all with every every person on this panel is that there's there's people in our church that they're retired, they're they're widows, uh they um they maybe we have families with special needs, a lot going on in their lives. What would you say to them? How would you encourage them you know to live on mission in their life stage? You know, you
6: just Some things are a passion. If you have a passion for something, reach out to somebody and say, how can I serve you? How can I help you do this? And um, it was easy. I just told them, I was like, well, I can go pick up more donuts. I can do it more than one day a week. So they're like, okay.
5: And um,
6: (laughs) if you tell Jenny you want something to do, you'll have something to do. So um, you just figure out what works with your schedule. And I have more time now. But I, you know, I teach a lot of classes during the week, but um, you find time for the things that matter to you.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, So let's let's just give a hand to our our panel. Thank you all very much for sharing your stories and sharing with us tonight. You know, and and just I'm going to close this in prayer, but I just want to say this and kind of challenge everyone that's watching here tonight. Is, is that you look on stage, you can identify with somebody up here. You may be a life group leader. You may be, you obviously, you probably have a family. Uh, you could be a single person in our church. Uh, you could be someone who has a special needs uh, child or, uh, you know, a retired person. You can identify with anyone on this stage. And if we can do it, you can do it. There's there's nothing And and I say this with all love, there's nothing special about any of us on stage. It's just people who have found passion and have a love for Jesus to take that gospel, to take the love of Jesus to the community. So so I encourage you uh, to have that passion. Pray for that passion that the Lord would work through you to develop in you your gifts and your passions to be like them and to take your family and yourselves uh, and your life groups to live on mission for the glory of God. And so that's my challenge for you. And I'm going to pray and then we'll be done for the night. Father, I just thank you again for tonight. I thank you for this panel, Lord. I thank you for everyone that's on here tonight. I thank you for them sharing their stories, Lord. And it's so uh, just great to hear, Lord, what you're doing into their lives, Lord. And I pray that for our church, Lord. We have many people in this church that I know is doing the same things, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to work through our church, Lord. I pray that you would give us a burden again for our community. Give us a burden to take the gospel. Take what the world is looking for, which is hope and peace. And we know that can only come through the gospel. And we pray that you would give us a passion to take that, Lord, to take hope, to take peace, to take the gospel to a desperate community that desperately needs to hear the gospel. And I pray that, Lord. I pray for our church. I pray for the rest of this week, Lord. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
5: Thank you for listening to this recording from
0: Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.